you see that our theme has uh, been with unity. That's the, the passage that is before us. And yet, let me give you uh, a couple questions that I've been asked down through the years. Maybe you've been asked. And maybe some of you come to church today with these questions in mind. The Bible talks about unity. Why are there so many denominations? You all can't even get along. Seems like uh, I'm always hearing about some dispute in some church in our community. If that's the case, why would I want to be a part of that? And then one question that had some national prominence recently. So many bad things have been done in the name of Christ. Things like, well, the Inquisition, the Crusades. Why would I want to identify myself with a church, church universal, that is like that? Who needs that? You ever heard these questions? Well, they're there. Here's the question about the questions. Are are they legitimate questions and are they fair? Well, if we're going to talk about unity, yes, that's a fair question uh, to ask. What about all the denominations out there? And today we're going to look at a passage that speaks of the unity in the church. So the question about denominations and Christians getting along is a fair question. And we should be willing and happy to address that. How does the Scripture address it? Now, before we get to the passage, I just want to remind you, because we're really at a, a turning point in the book of Ephesians. Uh, the title that we have used is New Life, New Community. The first three chapters of Ephesians talk about what we would call the indicative. Indicates who we are in Christ. It talks about our salvation from God's perspective and then certainly from our perspective and and uh, if, you, if you study those first three chapters, you will have a good understanding of uh, how God works, at least to the degree that he wants us to understand it. And so that's what we, we call uh, the indicative. And then the, the next chapters are going to tell us, okay, since you're in Christ, Since you are a child of the living God, 
this is how you should act. This is how you should relate. This is what the, the church should look like. And that's what we've called the new community. So if, if we want to use the, uh, the words of speech, you have the indicative, who we are, and then the imperative, the commands. Now, the reason I point that out is that that's the way the Scripture always approaches how we are to act. It never starts with, if you act this way, then you can become a, a child of God. If you act this way, you can become a Christian. See, that would be putting the imperative first. In other words, keep the Ten Commandments and then you'll be okay with God. That's not the way the Scripture deals with it. It says, look, He gives you a new heart. You become a child of the living God. And then your behavior will follow. And it will be according to who you are in Christ. So, that's what we're seeing in the big picture of this book. We've had the first three chapters telling us who we are in Christ. And now Paul is going to say, and so this is what it needs to look like. And he begins by talking about unity. So let's read in uh, Ephesians 4. I, therefore... A prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, will you help us especially to apply this? Children of the living God, and you've, you're telling us now what that needs to look like in this, this disjointed world that we live in. What do you mean by unity? Thank you for telling us and showing us and so will you open our hearts to your teaching, to your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So think back to the context. Not too far before this, the Apostle Paul had uh, talked about the divisions within the church in Ephesus and other places, between Jews who had come to Christ 
and Gentiles who had come to Christ. And how there were divisions among them and he said, no, those aren't there because Christ broke down the middle wall of partition by what he did on the cross. And so he began to talk to them about their unity with one another. And in some sense, this is a a continuation of that after that great prayer of praise uh, that that he burst into at uh, the end of uh, chapter 3. Now, he, he starts out with the first verse and urges them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which they've been called. And uh, I would just simply say that the rest of the book is going to explain that. What, what, is, what is walking in, in a, a, a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called? Now, one side note here. Uh, the word that we uh, translate church, typically, is uh, a combination word. And uh, in, in the Greek, it, it well, it's ekklesia, and the only reason I say that is because you can hear the uh, English word ecclesiastical or ecclesiology. But it's a combination word in, in that it's got a prefix and a root. And the first part, ek, out of, out, and uh, the latter part, the root, comes from called. So the idea of the church, this is our identity, we are the called out ones. That's our identity. And so he's saying, this is who you are, you are the called out ones. Now, I want you to walk according to that calling, called out from the world that we live in, but still walking among this world. So let's take a look at uh, uh, what he says in terms of unity in the new community. Uh, Biblical unity is displayed in our love for one another. Look at verse 2 and 3. And by the way, our love for one another, is it takes grace to show that love to one another. Look at what he says. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Remember our verse of the year last year that we will refer to every, every year and many times through the years. John 13, 35. And what was the the point of that? They will know that we are are his disciples by our love for one another. And Paul is saying that. Paul is affirming what what Jesus uh, said during his ministry. But what he's saying is that there is already a unity there. But it must be displayed by how we treat each other. He talks about we're not going to go deeply in, into these as we have 
before, but talks about humility, which would be the opposite of pride, uh, a gentleness, um, which some might translate that, a meekness. Uh, one commentator said, unwilling to provoke others and not easily to be provoked or offended with their infirmities. Do you get that? In other words, you're not, you're not provoking others, but then you're not letting others provoke you just because of who they are. That's that, the idea of a, a gentleness with one another or a meekness. And then patience, bearing with one another in love. The idea of long suffering, suffering long. So the, the point there is this that we don't need patience with people that we find easy to get along with. I don't care who you are. There, are. there are people that you just find easy to get along with. There are other people you just don't find easy to get along with. That's the nature of how people are. So when it comes to, to patience, you'll, you'll never know how patient you are unless if you, if you just hang out with those that you find easy to get along with. But you know what? The only way you can do that is if you decide to start your own church and make it a church of one. <laughs> because anytime there's a crowd, people's toes get stepped on, right? You know, you, you go to a ball game or something like that and you're going to get, you know, elbowed and so on. Well, that's, that's what happens. And that's the nature of the church, too. And so it, it calls for patience, for uh, uh, forbearing one another in love. And that signifies bearing with their infirmities. And we shouldn't cease to love people because we find them difficult. In fact, that's the difference between the world we're in and what we've been called out of and the new community. Where the, our, our world should say, how do those people get along? Instead of, how come they're always fighting? Now, I want to be quick to say, the people in churches aren't always fighting. I know that's not the case here. And it's not in most churches. It's just that that's what makes the news. Whenever there's a good church fight, it's going to get on in the news and get spread around. So let me get real practical here in terms of those three, humility, gentleness, and patience. Here's what, what it's got to come down to. The church isn't about you. <laughs> it's not about you. If you think it's all about your needs being met, you will never have unity with other people. But if you understand that the church is about humility toward one another, gentleness toward one another, forbearing with one another, that's when you'll experience biblical unity.
So Paul is emphasizing that because of your unity, this is how you should treat one another. But notice also, he doesn't say we want to develop unity. He talks about maintaining uh, the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. In other words, what he's saying is, look, it's not, that's not something you conjure up. There is unity in the church. The only thing you can do is break it. Our job is to maintain that which the Spirit has put in the church. Well, this may be a, a, a place under this category in terms of how we treat one another to address how some Christians in the past have mistreated others. Like I mentioned earlier, what about the, the Inquisition or the, uh, the Crusades? Well, let's talk about that just for a moment. A couple of things we need to understand about that. That's often mentioned, and that was, that was the, you know, under the, the medieval uh, Catholic Church at the time. When people object to the church for those reasons, we need to begin by emphasizing, uh, yeah, we understand that somebody can do something evil in the name of Christ. That can happen. So we don't deny, don't, don't bother doing that, uh, deny that somebody can do that. But what they cannot do is they can't claim that the Scripture calls them to do those things in the name of Jesus or that Jesus himself, by example, did evil things toward others. In fact, Jesus, the Scripture says, did no violence, even when violence was put upon him by others. So don't ever let anyone say that, that, yeah, that's just part of Christianity. No, it's not. And it cannot be. And so if someone justifies evil actions in the name of Christ, they're misguided. They don't understand Christ or the Scripture. But secondly, in terms of the Crusades and the Inquisition, yeah, that was a, a long time ago. And the church needed reform. The church needed a reformation, and that's what took place in the 1500s. The church was reformed. It didn't become perfect, but it went back to the roots of the Scripture that would protect it from doing such evil things in the name of Christ. Paul now goes on to talk about not only what it looks like when we treat one another, but that biblical unity is displayed in truth. So I hope you're getting the big picture. Step back. Biblical unity, there's the necessity of love and truth. Not one without the other. Now here's where it gets tricky in terms of the truth. Here's the denominational question. You all disagree on so much, you can't, you, you have all these different denominations. Uh, 
uh, you're not even in the same denomination. Why do you talk about unity? And here we're, we're saying that biblical unity is based on truth. So where does the truth lie? Because they may say, whose truth is it? Is it, you know, your Baptist down the road? Is it the Presbyterian? Is it the Methodist? Who, who's got the truth in this? You'll hear things like that if you haven't. Well, it's, it's based on this. This is the truth. It's based on the essentials. That's where biblical unity is. It's not on the non-essentials. It's not on differences in style. It's not on differences in personality of churches. But it's, it's based upon what Paul uses here, describing the essentials. Verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and is in all. Now, in our inquirer's class, one of the things that we, we say right up front is that uh, we believe here at St. Andrews in uh, majoring on the majors and minoring on the minors. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, there, there's only a few things that really matter, because even the minor things matter. But what we want to focus on is, and what, the way we describe the majors the essentials, is the gospel itself. And that's where the unity is. And the ones that we can have unity with are not those that we necessarily have organic unity. In other words, we're in the same denomination. But we have real unity with all of those that hold to the Scripture and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where our unity is. Now, we have to admit that to the world, they're, they're not going to get that. We can dialogue with them. They're going to say, no, no, you're in different denominations. You don't have unity. But some of that is going to depend on how you talk about those in other denominations. It should never, it should never go to a, a spirit of competition or looking down on them because they understand this doctrine different than we do. But instead, with those who hold to the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the deity of Christ, the sovereignty of God, we should be willing to have fellowship and real unity. Even though in this world, we will have different denominations. But that's not sinful unless we have a sinful attitude about it. So think in, in terms, that, that's what, what this is, you know, focusing on the essentials. But, but let me just emphasize what unity is not. And that is, it's not unity at all cost. In other words, a unity that's not based on the essentials that kind of unity that's not based on truth, 
is not biblical unity. In other words, if you have an organic unity, you end up in the same organization or the, the, uh, you want to make a, a new denomination and you're trying to unify with something that doesn't, with people that don't uh, hold to those essential truths, then you'll have to water it down so far that neither of you are holding to the truth. And that's why the organic unity is not as essential as true biblical unity. And that kind of unity won't last. It's meaningless. It's just for show. Now, we may get the question, well, can there be cooperation with those that we don't have biblical unity with? Can we, is there some, any way that we can cooperate with them? I would say the answer is yes, if we agree on a subject. Let me give you an example. I have uh, walked in many pro-life marches down through the years uh, in St. Louis and Pittsburgh and Washington, D.C. and Atlanta. And in those marches, there are Christians, there are atheists, there are Jews, there are Muslims, there are all kinds of people there walking in the same march because they agree on that one subject, the life issues. I don't have any problem, any qualms about cooperating when it comes to that issue with any of those folks that are sincerely there for that reason. I wouldn't have any problem with uh, uh, picking up litter in our community with people with no faith or Muslims or any of those things. Here's where the dividing line would come. If they said, we want to have a worship service and, uh, you know, a, a Muslim and, and an atheist who doesn't believe anything, but he's spiritual. Uh, and and, and you, you three will be on the platform. And I would just have to say, I can't. I can't. Because that kind of a, it would, it would be purely show and not based upon the truth. And that's not biblical Unity. Unity without truth means you'll be unified with those you should not be. That's what I mean in saying unity that's not based on the essentials, the truth, is not biblical unity. On the other hand, unity without love will be destroyed because you'll be divided from those that you should not be. In other words, you'll split from those that you should be unified with. Once again, I don't think we need to worry about having different denominations. We need to constantly check our attitude, though, about those who we have essential unity with and make sure that with them we are showing humility and gentleness and love in the bond of peace. And that will take grace.
it was a, the era when there was great tension in our country. Tension over a war in Southeast Asia, tension between the generations, tension between the hippies and the establishment, between the long hairs and the short hairs. There was a lot of tension, and that tension was also reflected in the traditional church, where there was the traditional church and there were the Jesus people. The young man walked in the back of the church. He had uh, gone to the university just across the road from this very traditional church. He had on his blue jeans and he was barefoot and had a t-shirt with holes in it and, and long hair and a long beard when he walked in because that's what he wore for his four years of college. But during that time, he had come to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. And so as he walked into the back of this very traditional church, he looked down the aisle and he saw nothing but three-piece suits. He began to walk down the aisle to look for a seat, but the church was packed. And so he slowly walked in toward the front. All eyes were on him. He got all the way to the front, and there still wasn't any seats, and so he sat down on the floor. Shortly after he had passed this man's pew, an elderly deacon got up, had a cane, was walking with a cane. He was in a three-piece suit, very stately. And he walked right behind that young man. Now all eyes were on him. The preacher couldn't even get up and begin until the deacon took care of this situation. He walked all the way down to the front, and you could feel the tension in the air. People thinking, well, he's got to do what he's got to do. Of course, his generation wouldn't relate to this young man. And when he got next to the young man, he took his cane and he, he hung it on the pew, and then he sat down next to him so that he wouldn't have to worship alone. that deacon understood that there is a unity that goes far beyond what we look like, what our style is, what our preference, what our personality is. There is a unity that is based upon our calling, that is based upon the essentials. And because of that unity, we treat others with love and humility. May God, even today, give us application of this unity in our church and in the larger church. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your word.
And we do ask that you will give us that humility and gentleness and love and grace that it takes in order to maintain that precious unity that you have bestowed upon your church. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.